0: Philippians 1, we are beginning a series in the book of Philippians, a book about joy, a book about rejoicing. So lighten up, all right? All right, Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. This is what we'll begin to unpack today. Excuse me, Philippians chapter one. And as you turn in there, uh, again, on our promotional flyer, we have, you see a picture of like um, kind of a brick floor, brick or stone um, chiseled floor with a flower growing out of it. And I picked that, uh, that, um, that image because that, that picture's in a, in a picture that says the book of Philippians. What you have here is you have a man who's in a prison, unfairly, that's Paul, and something's still blossoming out of his spirit and out of his soul. Just like there's a flower growing out of the crack of that prison floor, it's still growing. So Paul is still rejoicing though he's in prison and he's still helping others through his communication to this church. And so it's teaching us to let our Christianity be um, growing and joyful no matter what scenario we find ourselves in if listen to me if our Christianity only works when things are going well what does that tell you about our Christianity it's cheap right don't you like a car that can go everywhere don't you like a truck that can go everywhere well if our Christianity our Christianity needs to be able to function everywhere and have some element of joy, some element of, of rejoicing, not that we're always just, but there's some element that in the heart there's still a spark of joy, there's still a praise of the Lord anyhow, attitude everywhere. If it's not, then it's cheap, and it needs to grow and start growing today. And it can grow, and that's what we're looking at as we look into the book of Philippians is growing joy in no matter what scenario we're in. Okay, so Philippians chapter 1, we're going to read the introduction, we're going to read Paul's greeting and his prayer for them, and we'll start to unpack this. Philippians 1 verse 1, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart. And as much as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, Ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in judgment and in all knowledge, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. So we begin this, as we begin this book, I want to remind you a little bit about Paul. Paul is the author. The Bible says the first verse here, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ. So here's our author, Paul in particular, Timothy's accompanying him. The Apostle Paul wrote a lot of books in the New Testament, right? It's in your lap, the New Testament's in your lap, and Paul was an author there. It's good for us to know a little bit about him. The Bible's not just a plain a book of statements of do this and don't do that. And <clears throat> it tells us people and their personalities and their background. And even that has purpose to it. Right. The Apostle Paul was a, it was a huge enemy of Christianity. Think about an enemy of Christianity today, just somebody. You know, maybe some we used to think, you know, Osama bin Laden. He hated Americans, he hated Christianity. There's probably a lot of like that. Um, enemies of Christianity Paul was a massive enemy of Christianity he was a tenacious zealous Jew very 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 self-righteous and if he had a if he had a trophy case of righteousness achieved on the external his trophy case would be filled you look at all these look at I'm a Jew I'm a double Jew I'm of the tribe of Benjamin I'm a Pharisee I've learned at the feet of Gamaliel I was got all my boxes checked on how externally righteous i am but god one day while he was traveling to damascus um, having letters that gave him authority to find out some christians and apprehend them or kill them while he was riding on his horse there are other people with him he was ready to take down some christians on his strike riding his horse God knocked him off his horse and changed his life around. He literally, by Acts 10, 9 says, he fell off his horse, saw a bright light, he's like, whoa, what's going on? The light was brighter than the sun. That's hard to imagine. The sun's, I don't know what, how brighter, much brighter you can get, but apparently you can if God shows up. And God showed up and knocked Paul off his horse and Paul said, Lord, he said, who art thou, Lord? It's like saying, sir, who are you? That's what he's saying, basically. And the answer was, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. He was persecuting God's people, but it was as if he was persecuting Jesus. And Jesus said, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. I've been trying to prod you with cattle pricks, and you've been kicking against it. It's hard, isn't it? I'm going to keep poking you until you turn around. That's what Jesus was saying. So Paul's office says, who are you, sir? Who art thou, Lord? I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Why do you persecute me, Saul? What he said, and, and finally, Saul realized he, his name's Saul at this moment. He goes to Paul later, Lord, calling Jesus Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? I reckon he just got saved right quick. Yeah. Right? He just got saved right. Lord, what do you want me to do? I mean, it's a short conversation that at least was recorded. And Jesus said, Go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou shalt do. And so, Paul, and that, that was gone, and he, Paul's can't hardly see. People had to lead him. They finished leading him into the city. He met this Christian named Ananias. Ananias had already been prepared by God in a dream. God came to Ananias and said, Ananias, you're going to go, you're going to baptize uh, Saul. And I What? That guy's going to kill people. No, no, no. The Lord says to Ananias, I, I got plans for him. I got a great plan for his life. He's going to discover many things for me. He gets to suffer a lot of things for me. Wonderful plan for his life. Ananias is like, all right then. I guess he turned him around. So Ananias meets Paul. Paul gets baptized three days after he's saved. Once he's baptized, scales come off his eyes and he can see. Oh, it's symbolic of spiritually what happened to him. That now he sees everything differently. I was against Christ, now I'm for Christ. I was against Christians, now I'm for Christians. I was persecuting Christians, now i'm going to get persecuted as a christian and that's what happens to him he goes down and he gets more familiar with the jews in jerusalem and they're kind of stand like, out or the jewish christians in jerusalem they're like wait, wait a minute Are you for real man and Barnabas has to kind of intervene and say no he's good he's good this guy really got saved Barnabas a genuine Christian kind of bridges the gap between the the current church at the time and the the now the the former enemy of Christianity who's now converting because no he's okay check him out you know and Paul gets familiar with the church and everything and and they're amazed at how he can go into the synagogue and convince people that Jesus is indeed the Christ and when Paul goes into those Jewish synagogues and convinces Jews that Jesus is the Christ they get really ticked off and now they hate him and they try to kill him and they have to hide Paul and let him out of Damascus through a basket and he's on the run and, and just differently his life changed his life drastically changed you know our life may not drastically change but if you accept Jesus it ought to change at some level when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior if any man be in Christ he's a new creature behold all things are passed away behold all things are become new There ought to be some level of newness of life. You're no longer a weed. You're now a fruit tree for the Lord. You're something different. There's a change. And Paul's changed. And so, Paul, now he's a new guy. He's a brand new. He went from going against Christ. Now he's in favor of Christ. And and now he becomes a missionary later on. We learn that in Acts chapter 13, he's in this this multi-ethnic church in Antioch. I mean, there's a guy from Africa there. There's a Greek guy there. There's a couple Jewish guys there. Multi-ethnic church, and that's how churches ought to be. They ought not to be. We only do this color. We ought not be racist in any church. But he's in a multi-ethnic church in Antioch, and and they're serving the Lord. And the Lord's basically the short end of the story, is the Lord says, "I want Barnabas and Saul to be missionaries." And 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 God called Barnabas and Saul to be missionaries. And Antioch church sent them out, and Barnabas and Saul went to be missionaries, and they went around that known part of the world and started churches. They came back to their home church, I think at the end of chapter 14 or 15, I think at chapter 14, and they reported to their church and they said, hey church, this is what happened. We went here and this happened, we went here and this happened, we went here, and we started these churches and uh, the whole home church got excited about them planting churches. And then after a while, Paul, now he's a missionary again, now it's changed. He says, you know, let's go back and, and visit some of our churches again. Later on, I think it was in chapter 15 or 16, Chapter fifteen of Acts, and so he ended up not taking Barnabas. He ended up going with Silas, a new guy, and and he and Silas went on their on a missionary journey. It'd be second Paul's second missionary journey. How many of us didn't that sound exciting? I want to go on a missionary yeah. journey. You know, we we start thinking something that's really kind of easy, controlled, predictable. You know, it comes with some nice scenes and yeah. good selfies and unique smells and tastes. Get a sample stuff in the market at some. Middle Eastern place. It, no, it, this, was ha- this was hard. This came with you might die, uh, you might get shipwrecked. And some of that happened to Paul. But he's on his second missionary journey. Paul is now. And he goes to different places. And one of the places he goes to is this place of Philippi where the book of Philippians is addressed to and um, he goes to Philippi and Acts 16 records this. Um, he goes on the Sabbath day because what Paul did is he worked from the Jews out. He went to the Jew first and see if he can work with any Jews, Jewish colonies in any particular city. Start with them and work it the best he can until it's a closed door and then you go to the Gentiles. He worked with the Jews and... He, um, there was some down at the river. Um, and it appears that this early church, the church when Paul got it started, it appears that it's was primarily uh, started with more women. And uh, so he goes down and prayer was wont to be made at this river and he met them and shared the word of God with them. And, and a, 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 a successful entrepreneur named Lydia, uh, who, uh, seller of purple, she, the Lord had opened her heart and she was saved. And it appears that she used. they used her house as a kind of that first congregating place. And um, so Lydia, several women, probably some men here soon after, began to believe. And he starts an infant church. Paul and Silas start the church of Philippi. I don't remember how long he was there, but it wasn't too much longer where Paul finds himself in a prison. You see, what happened is Paul starts this church, and it's and, it, it, and it's not, you know, it's not like everything's ideal and everybody loves everybody. Everybody loves the church and everybody loves the church planner right off the bat. It's not like that. He has a church started, but there's this demon-possessed girl who was involved in soothsaying and she was kind of like owned by some men. And she just kept... Um, disturbing Paul and Silas finally Paul turns to her and calls the demon out of her he casts there are demon-possessed people by the way today sometimes they can show up at church but he casts this demon out of this young lady cast the demon out of this young lady she's dispossessed now She doesn't no longer has this demon I can't honestly can't remember if she ends up believing I can't remember that text But what I do remember is, now, at this point, we'd be happy if somebody had a demon cast out, right? Yes! Cool! Her her masters were not happy because it's about this. They don't care if it means demon possession, they need to make money. The demon gets cast out of her. It affects their their bottom dollar with how they were using her. And they get mad at Paul and Silas. And they, they set them up and made false claims. And Paul and Silas, next thing you know, her masters get Paul and Silas arrested and thrown into prison. The Philippian prison. We looked at that a little bit in Sunday school. So in Acts 16, Paul and Silas are in prison and they're, and they're you know, they're they're they've been whipped, they're their bloody backs, their hands and their feet are locked into stocks. And it's at midnight, and you know what they do? No, they don't cry. <laughs> they start singing, they do something incredible. It takes something supernatural influence to do what they're doing. They sing. They sing praises to God at midnight and prayed. And other prisoners heard them. You know what? It was the work of grace to, that they could do that. It's, a, it's not normal. Is that normal? No. It's not normal. It's abnormal for humanity. But in a way, it now should be normal for Christianity. As Paul established a baseline now, that there should be rejoicing at some level, no matter what. And he is rejoicing in prison with Silas. Ends up being that there's an earthquake and a jailer gets saved. And there's more to the story, but that's kind of the gist. He starts the, the this church in Philippi. He gets imprisoned in the process. He gets out and he goes finishes his missionary journey and does at least one other one. But you know, Paul's seen some prisons. He found himself in another prison. By the time this book is penned, he's in prison again. No, he's not stealing and lying. and doing. It's, it's for the faith. He might be breaking the law, but it's the law of man, not the law of God. Then it perhaps is things that are contrary where he's preaching the gospel and the gospel runs contrary to man's law. So here, here we are. Philippians 1.1, 1, 1. Paul's where? He's in another prison. This time... Rome, capital of the world. I don't, there's, they, you know, they think they know exactly the prison he was in. I'm not going to get into that. I'm going to try to stay confined with some of the descriptions I know from the Bible. But he's in some kind of prison. He's in proximity to Caesar's household. In fact, we'll read later on in this chapter, Caesar's household hears the gospel somehow through Paul being in this prison in proximity to them. So Paul's in prison right now. And has somebody visit him. His name is Epaphroditus. He's like, that sounds like a sickness. Epaphroditus, did I have, I think I got Epaphroditus last year. No, it, it, no, it sounds different. It's a different type of a name. But ironically, the guy, Epaphroditus, actually gets sick himself. And <clears throat> when he comes, Epaphroditus comes and visits Paul from the book, from the Church of Philippi. He comes however many miles, 7 800 miles to visit Paul in Rome. I should go from this way, from east to west. Visits Paul in Rome. Has a gift for Paul. We learn about that a little bit at the end of, uh, I think it's chapter 3 and 4. Has a gift for Paul. (coughs) Paul's like, thank you for this gift. Man, I love that church in Philip. They gave me a nice gift. That's so kind of them." And um, stirring up some memories about them, perhaps. Epaphroditus visiting Paul and Timothy. Again, Timothy's with Paul. And Epaphroditus, man, this guy gets sick, deathly sick, according to chapter. what's said in chapter two, he gets really, really sick, and um, he recovers. Though by the time he recovers, Paul has an epistle. He has the, this book right here, Philippians, written, puts it in the hand of Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus goes back home and delivers it to the Philippians. And what the the contents of this book become. Something of an update to tell Philippians don't know how Paul's doing. They don't have Twitter and Facebook and, and stuff like the email. It's like, you want to know, you're gonna to have to wait some weeks and trade back and forth paper letters. They get an update through this book of how Paul's doing. They get an uplift through this book. This is an up. Some have some Bible commentators have called this book of Philippians a hymn of joy. And then they get some undergirding truth from this book for the Philippian church. Epaphroditus shows up, they open it up, somebody reads it, and they read the verses that we're reading today. But they probably read the whole thing on the first day. So let's con- let's continue in this thing. Paul, here's the author, here's the recipient. Let's look at author, recipients, and then the greeting is what we really want to break down today. The author again, Paul, look at verse chapter 1, verse 1, Paul and Tim- Timotheus. Timothy was a kind of his protege. Timothy had met Probably when he was younger and uh, recruited him to come travel with him. He's a, he's a trainee. Yeah. Timothy probably becomes a pastor. You know he becomes a pastor. It looks like he becomes a pastor of Ephesus later on. So Timothy's with him. By the way, if you want to learn something, okay, if you want to learn how to be a pastor, spend time with a pastor. If you want to learn how to be a welder, spend time yeah. with a welder. If you want to learn how to run a business, spend time with somebody who runs a business. Go ahead and do some college classes. Go ahead and do some of that stuff. But there's nothing that replaces get down and dirty and do the thing. And not just on paper and read books. If Whatever it is you want to do, get involved in that environment and learn how to do it by watching it, whether you have a certificate or a paper thing of it or not. Timothy is with Paul learning this stuff. That's how he went to the Pauline Seminary, you know. Paul's seminary. So anyways, there's Paul and Timothy. what are they called? Servants! The authors call themselves servants of Jesus Christ, not lords over the Philippian church. He doesn't write to the Philippians. All right, Philippians, I got. we have something to tell you. Paul, the great and wonderful Apostle Paul and his wonderful co-person, Timotheus, uh, the leaders of you. He, they are leaders, and he is an apostle, but he calls himself a servant of Jesus Christ we are in other words we do Jesus's bidding and if Jesus's bidding involves us being put in a prison then we're in a prison we are servants of Jesus Christ if Paul called himself a servant what do we call ourselves we're servants of Jesus also I know we're sons and daughters but on a kind of a movement (coughs) practical level of what we're doing I'm a servant I'm a servant so are you we should act like it and be subject. We're here at the pleasure of our master, and we're gone at the pleasure of our master, and we sit at the pleasure of our master, and we move at the pleasure of our master, and we're in time out at the pleasure of our master, and we suffer or prosper at the pleasure of our master. I'm a servant. I don't go to my uh, union and insist on rights, saying this is not not right. I have a great master, and I have a great future with him. But I'm a servant. That's what Paul and Timothy are. Paul and Timothy are servants of Jesus Christ. Notice now the recipients. We know it's the church of Philippi, but look at verse um, the end of verse one. To all the saints, this is. I love these next two words. It's helped me with a lot of things in Christ. To all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. You know, a believer is called a saint. Not an extra religious person who is famous is called a saint. If you believe, we've said this, if you're saved, you're a saint. If you're not, you're an ain't. You know, if you're saved, you're a saint. You may not act saintly, but you're a saint if you're saved. Saint means one set apart and unique now for God. So Paul and Timotheus, they're writing to all the saints, all the believers in Philippi. I believe it's speaking of that church. And so he speaks to the congregation. This is for a congregation right here. The book of Philippians. It's for saints, It's for Christians, it's for a congregation. Well, that's us. So this is relevant to you. It's relevant. And he includes, the pastors are allowed to get in on this too. Pastors and deacons. Bishops. Look what it says there. To the end, the bishops and deacons. Bishops. There's three words. I believe there's three words that describe one office. This is the way I perceive the scripture. Uh, bishop. Elder and pastor, those are three words that are used in the New Testament. I believe you're describing one office. Some people take a little different take on that. That's fine. Bishop means an overseer, episkopos. He's looking about. He's scoping things. Bishop means episcopal. Uh, the word elder is another description of a pastor. It means one who's proven, one who's, one who's mature. Bishop, elders, and then pa- the word pastor itself uh, is a shepherd. Who leads and feeds sheep and when you follow how they're used in the new testament they seem to all be speaking about interchangeably about the same guy so paul's writing to who he wants the pastors to learn this stuff and the deacons too the deacons the word deacon there means attendant it means a waiter did you know in your john remember john chapter 2 when jesus turned water into wine i think it was unfermented wine he turned water into wine he was at the wedding feast the governor whoever it was of the feast said to the servants, "Hey servants, go fill those jugs, whatever it was, jars with uh, water." When he called them servants, the Greek word was "Hey deacons." Go fill it. It wasn't religious. It was a it was a kind of a secular term. "Hey servants, hey attendants, go fill those water jugs." And they went and filled them, brought them to Jesus, Jesus turned it to wine, turned it to I believe unfermented wine. But the per- the point is is that's what a deacon is. He's an attendant, a bishop, an elder, a pastor, is one of the spiritual leaders of the church, not to act like a lord, but to be an example to the flock, and then saints. So that's for everybody. So the book of Philippians is for everybody. That's a Christian right here. That's what it's for. Now, let's look here. We're going to start to probe into his greeting. From verses 11, pardon me, verses, if you look at verse 2 all the way to 11... I believe, compose his greeting. And it's thorough, and it's sweet, and it's good. How is Paul greeting this church? How is Paul greeting this church? We're going to learn about that. The key thing we're going to look at, and this is where we're going to kind of stop and tie it right to us. Here's the key thing that we're going to kind of hub around in this greeting. The key issue in this greeting is notice how Paul communicates under a bad circumstance. Think about this. Paul's in a bad circumstance. He's in prison. It's unfair. I'm sure he didn't deserve to be there. If there was a Christian law association back in that day, they would have been able to probably, you know, try to defend him at some level. You know, it was unfair. He, he, it, I'm sure the prison doesn't have cable TV. Or what were we saying, Matt? Weightlifting. I'm sure it was pretty different. It probably smelled, you know, what is the human rights organizations of the American day would have been. <gasps> outraged at how bad it was. it wasn't, I'm sure it wasn't very sanitary. He's in a prison. It's not comfortable. But man, something's blossoming there. Look at how he's... We're going to look at how he communicates. Let me ask you something. How do you communicate when things don't go your well? Go your way. Go well. I know it's hard to communicate well. It's hard to communicate nicely. It's hard to communicate like a Christian when things aren't going well, isn't it? But Paul does. If I don't get my way, then I'm going to make everybody feel absolutely miserable about it around me. That's pretty cheap Christianity. I think we can grow past that. How do I communicate? Some of us, you know, with Paul, we don't when we're not going to read in his greeting, woe is me, Paul. Paul, the afflicted victim, one of the Roman system. Suffering in this Poor prison. And you, Philippians, shame on you for doing so well. He's not like that. He doesn't have this envy of you're doing well. Look at me. I helped you, but look at me. He hasn't had this pouty, shame, bitter. He's not a bitter old preacher. He's not grudging against them. He's not creating this disparity of pity me and you should feel ashamed that you're doing well, Philippians. no. Not at all. Not at all. There's no woe is me or victim mentality. He communi- Let me give you the five-fold description of how he communicates. Verse 2, he communicates graciously. Verse 3, and three to 5, he communicates gratefully. Verses 6 to uh, 7, he communicates hopefully. Verse 8, he communicates sentimentally. And verse 9 to 11, he communicates prayerfully. I don't know if we'll get to all of those today, but I want to begin to take note of those. You know, when I was a kid, um, when I was a kid, I had friends that, like I had friends that were kind of like long-term friends that were my friends throughout childhood. And then I'd have some friends that maybe I just like, and it wasn't like a bad thing, like, you know, we were flaky or anything. It's just sometimes I had a friend maybe for a short period of time because we were in the same class together for a while or. He lived nearby, and then he moved. I had kind of the short-term friends. And, uh, but I remember whatever it was, usually when I had a friend, my mom sometimes could tell the difference if I had a new friend. Uh, I don't know if she remembers this, but I remember her kind of fe- giving me some feedback. And that what it was was mom would detect a little change in how I talked. Maybe the words I used. Whether it was good or bad, you know, let's say it's not even bad, that it was just, oh, he sounds a little different. Or my laugh, I remember distinctly, I think, I, I think my, I should say distinctly, vaguely, that my mom said basically, you, you're laughing a little different. Who have you been hanging around? And you know what? It got me to think about, oh, yeah, that one guy, he's got that really different laugh, and I'm starting to sound like him. This was like in junior high or something. Mom picked up on you know what you're starting to laugh like somebody else, or you have these words, or you say this a certain way, because who you been hanging out with? What it is is somebody else's communication style was rubbing off on me, and it was coming out of me. You know, their laugh came out of me, their talk or their maybe attitude came out of me. Our purpose right now is to look at Paul and let Paul rub off on us a little bit. Okay. Let his tone, let his, his spirit rub off on us. Let it come out of our communication. That's what I want to do the rest of our time, maybe into the next message. Notice here, how does Paul communicate? Graciously. Verse 2, he's gracious in his communication to the church. Notice what he, this is This is customary to have a nice greeting. Okay? Gracious. Paul, what does he say? Verse 2, Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look, this is a guy, again, imagine Paul in prison. He's in bonds. He uses that word bonds. He's limited. He's not free to move about. He's writing to people who are not in prison, free to move about, see the clear blue sky daily, and do their thing to the extent that they had their freedoms in that day. And Paul, confined and where he is, what does he express to them? Grace to you. Peace from God our Father. He doesn't say shame on you, look at you and woe to me. He says grace to you. He has something of God to express back. He's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Yes. But it's something of the Lord, grace to you. It's a it's a it's like it's like giving somebody a kiss without kissing them on paper. And peace. It's a, the Jewish side of it shalom to you, you didn't say shalom He used a Greek word but it's like saying peace to you no no hostility here a little a little spiritual kiss grace to you and a little little uh, a hug peace to you you know when you you know when you come to greet a person in when we you, when we come to greet in here in person it's usually it's a nod a handshake we do some type of connection to just give a, a a, a, a taste, so to speak, an emotional taste of where we're. Hey, how you doing? Or how's it going? We try to greet through some form of contact, or sound, or sight. But how do you greet in in word when you're distanced with letters? He gives gracious a gracious uh, wish, if you could, or desire, an extension, grace to you, peace to you. From God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this. Can we speak graciously one to another? How do we speak? How do you speak one to another? Not just in here in these moments, but out there. How do you speak one to another? Is it graciously? Peaceably? Of all peoples, we ought to be able to have the ability to speak graciously one to another of all peoples in the world. In the world, Now, let's consider, um, Jesus said in John 16, he says, uh, in the world you shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. In other words, look, I, no matter, uh, I'm going to have difficulty in this world, I'm going to have problems, I can't let that, the tone of my communication say, that I'm a victim because Jesus has overcome the world. I can speak graciously. Uh, the Bible says in Colossians 4:6, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Colossians 4:6. i have something that's an, where I'm adding a blessing in how I speak to a person. Grace is how he communicated. He communicated graciously, and then, secondly, gratefully. Communicated gratefully. Notice verse 3, 4, and 5. As he's speaking to the Philippians, uh, he makes them excited that they know him. <laughs> Listen, I thank my God, he says in verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine, making request, pardon me, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now man he liked them we're going to get into that you're going to see more of that sentiment he was he's speaking to and he's thinking paul in prison thinking of the philippians writes this he goes you know what i am thankful for you you church every time i remember you boy i pray for you and when i pray for you i make requests with joy not with grief now there's times where paul weep for people and was grieved for some people but this church boy there's something about him he says i am so thankful for you what was he thankful for look what it says for your fellowship in the gospel look at verse five our relationship together in the gospel from the first day until now man you know what he's saying he says i'm grateful for the relationship that i have with you i'm grateful for it now wait a minute This book of Philippians is not all just roses and everything like that and sugar and honey. He has to correct some. It's it's less correction. He has some things to confront and some things to address and things to correct in these people. But setting that aside, he says, well, I love you. I am thankful I I know you all. Paphroditus and Yodius and Syntyche, some odd names for first century people. but You know, that's them. I'm thankful for you all. He... Listen, he, communi- he first communicates his sincere gladness to be connected with them. Again, what is he doing? He's showing that he's privileged. Listen to the Paul. He's showing here through this, hey, I am privileged. I am thankful that I have a relationship with you. In other words, it's like if I didn't know you, it almost be like something would be a little less in my life. I am thankful that I have a relationship with you. Now, let me ask you this. Is there, can we communicate like that to people? Again, here's Paul in a church, and he's grateful he has a, even a connection with them. Can we be like that with anybody in our life? Is there anybody you're thankful that you even have a kinship with, fellowship with, friendship with? Can we communicate that? Can you communicate your gratefulness for some relationship you have? Now, if you have a, if you have a bad relationship with somebody, it needs to cut off. I don't, don't misunderstand. I'm not talking about every relationship under any circumstance. We're kind of narrowing this down to in, at least Christian relationships. Can we communicate gratitude to a brother here? Can you communicate gratitude to another sister here? Yeah, I'm thankful I have this sister. I think we need to. Sometimes people leave when they don't know if they're appreciated. Sometimes people. Sometimes people... Get discouraged if they don't know if they're appreciated. Say it. If you're thankful for somebody, to say it. I'm not saying like right now or like twisting your arm to say, make you say something for you, but just think about this. Say you're thankful for somebody that you have a Christian relationship with. How about, well, let's just go into our families. What about your husband? Can you communicate you're grateful for your husband, ladies? Or, or guys to your wife? Be thankful that you have fellowship with her. She's your spouse. She's your friend for life. Grateful for that. Thank God upon every remembrance of her and every prayer of yours, making requests with joy for your spousals from the first day till now. We got to think about that. Paul is showing us an example of somebody who's communicating with gratefulness under a difficult circumstance. I think we need to take that with us today. Those at least those two points. We'll pick up next time on the rest of this. But I think we need to take that with us today: gracious and grateful communication. How do you communicate? The greatest, the greatest issue of communication is us recognizing God's communication to us. This is God's huge. This is God's latest message for the last two thousand years. In these last days, last days meaning the last two thousand years, God has spoken to us by His Son whom he has made heir of all things. He died on the cross and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty and high. This is how God's speaking to us now. He's saying, you broke my law, but he paid your fine. Are you going to take him or leave him? God's communication is is a gracious communication too. He says, take this, this is free. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. God has gracious communication, but the thing is, I need to respond to it. I think everybody, just about everybody in here has. In case somebody hasn't, or somebody watching hasn't, it's rude to not respond to a text. It's rude to not eventually answer a voicemail. It's eternally consequential not to answer God's extension of, do you take my son? Answer him if you haven't. Yes, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I accept you as my Savior. If you pray sincerely a prayer like that, you will be saved. That's the greatest communication of the day.